Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello, Rotterdam. My name's Anna Smith, I'm with Girls on Film, and I am so pleased to see you all here today. It's great to be back at the International Film Festival Rotterdam. Um, we came here last year, I think it was episode five, and this will be our 26th episode. So thanks to all the listeners and the supporters who've been with us. As you know, Girls on Film is a podcast that looks at film from a female perspective. Today we're going to review some of the films that are showing here in Rotterdam with some guest critics. We're going to discuss one of these films, The Great Rocks, with director and writer Sarah Gavron and the associate director Anu Enriquez. We're also going to review some new releases and uh, we'll do a Q&A with you, so please save up your questions for the end. We'd love to hear from you. So it is with great pleasure I would like to invite back to the stage someone who joined us last year. It is the wonderful Dutch film critic Dana Linsen. Dana, please join us. How are you? I'm fine. I'm so <laughs> happy to be back. We had so much fun last year. That also makes me a little bit nervous. It's going to be even better this year. I think so, because we yeah. have maybe even better guests. Wow, so. if such a thing is possible. Now, you've been up to something that's called slow criticism, which intrigues me. Can you tell me more about that? I don't know how many years ago we kind of invented the slow criticism project as some kind of a counterbalance against this whole opinion industry and this research cycling of judgments on social media and so on. So we thought we need time to reflect and we need spaces where we can actually meet and talk and engage in some, some form of a dialogue. Um, I'm actually thinking about picking it up one way or another and, and creating a web space where we can feature some of the, the articles that we ran in the past and maybe also commission some new pieces. So, yeah, stay put. You mentioned social media there and that's kind of reaction against that. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we're all on, on social media, one form or another, and, and we're trying to divide our personalities over all these different kinds of social media. It's good to be out there. It's good to engage. It's also a good way to, to stay up with what's going on in the world. I'm not particularly fond of of the kind of judgmental tone and the fact that you're so restricted to whatever, how many signs and, and the quick responses. Um, I think the critic's job is, of course, to be very aware of what's going on and to be able to articulate what you're thinking. And at the other hand, it's a reflective job. So sometimes I really like to think of an answer, but then the discussion is already dead and I really regret that. That's very interesting, yeah. I mean, I certainly love the fact that my job takes me to all sorts of places, whether it's a soundbite for Sky News or a really long in-depth piece for Sight and Sound. And it's nice to have the space to yeah, be able to do Yeah, but it's nice that. to do both. Yeah, exactly. It's nice to do both, definitely. Well, let's bring on our next guest. Um, she is Lauren Murphy, the Head of Content at Cinevel and Programmer at Imagine Film Fest. Please bring on Lauren. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Girls on Film. Thank this you is for your me. first time, and we're very pleased to have you. And I'm sure you know Dana, correct? Yes, obviously. <laughs> now, tell us more about Cineville and the podcast that you do. We're um, Cineville. I guess we like to call ourselves the biggest film club in the Netherlands. We uh, we just reached fifty thousand members this week. Wow! Congrats! Yes, round of applause. We have a pass that gives you unlimited access to forty-four independent cinemas in the Netherlands for a fixed fee and rewrite and make content about things we love essentially Great. including a podcast every three weeks we're trying to we might be doing that more often this year now tell me more about the Imagine Festival because I'm really intrigued by this is it a fantasy world tell me yes more. it's it's the um the biggest fantastic film festival so fantastic movies but also fantasy, fantasy. driven movies mm -hmm. um in the Netherlands it's been around for oh 
34 years-ish. Wow. <laughs> quite a long time. Yeah, it grew from something quite small, just a weekend of horror fans getting together to something much bigger in the iFilm Museum now, uh, 10 days in April. And it focuses on genre of films, so fantasy, science fiction and horror. But actually for me, I think the films that are in between genres or can't really be boxed into a certain genre are the most interesting. So if I try to explain the kind of films that we program, I think they force you to sort of open a little door in your mind to worlds or ways of thinking that you hadn't before experienced or tried. Amazing. Um, yeah. Things that defy genre. And we've got a few of them coming up today, actually. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about that world that you're working in. Do you find it male-dominated, the programming world? Um, I wouldn't know for, for instance, IFFR that Dana programs for, but I think in, in genre, there's a a viewer, a stigma, I think, that it's just guys in metal shirts <laughs> doing horror programming. <laughs> and I've actually found that that's not true. I, and the women that do work in these festivals, we're really tight. Like, it's a really nice world to, to hang out in. And I think also to have that sort of way of enjoying those kind of movies from when you're younger creates a bond. So I haven't really experienced too much male dominance that's <laughs> great to hear I think that it, world but I've, yeah. I've only been working for Imagine for the past three years so I think a lot has changed you can also see in the films that are being made genre films these days we have so many great female directors doing genre film so um it That's used to changing. be a bit different, though. I mean, yeah. these these weekend of terrors you were talking about—they were pretty male dominated. Yeah, lots of beer were, and screaming at the and screen. Screaming and at the screen, <laughs> not so flattering things. No, screaming at all the women that would. No, we don't do the night of terror anymore, partly for that reason. I'm quite intrigued at that night of terror. So yeah, that's one of the original things that Imagine used to do. That uh, was just a, a full night of not sleeping and watching just the bloodiest horror B-grade horror films all night. And some strange traditions had sort and of this, formed yeah, yeah, throughout yeah. the this, years this, where people would this, throw... This night of the bad taste would be the translation, mm -hmm. probably. People would throw toilet paper in the audience, but really, whenever a female character appeared on the screen... The, they were shouted at stuff that you can't say because it will be bleeped, bleeped out. Yeah. So wow. it was kind of strange to be part of that in an audience, enjoy that kind of yeah. filmmaking, and at the other hand realize, okay, they're maybe not shouting it at me, but how if I would be on the screen, etc., etc. Yeah. And I think that really changed. Why do you think it changed? You, you said obviously it changed, but is it the changing of the times or the culture that we're living in? Is it Me Too? What? I think this was a little bit before Me Too, but it's definitely a sign of the times. Mm. Yeah, and more women, more women more at the festival women as well, getting interested in genre movies, more female critics, more female programmers, and actually, I think even before the the whole rise of female filmmakers getting interested in genre, there were academics interested in in it already, and and kind of unearthing yeah. those kind of films such as yourself. And I think that changed the audience. The audience population changed. Really I think yeah, the audience secretly or not even secretly, but I think women have always enjoyed these kind of films. And I, for me, fear is something so says so much about women as well might have different fears than men or it's also a cultural thing so it's really interesting to dive into that I just feel like maybe now women are they're more interested in coming because it because the audience has changed turns out now lots of women have enjoyed horror for ages so it's a safer space for them in a way yeah, yeah. Um, let's review some current releases shall we okay now we have a film that a lot of people here may have heard of and it is called Bombshell so it's directed by Jay Roach. It's starring Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie, Charlize Theron. It's based on the sexual harassment scandal that rocked Fox News in the United States in 2016. And uh, it's been Oscar nominated for several things, including Charlize Theron and Margot Robbie. Three strong female leads, a great ensemble film, also nominated for hair and makeup. And looking at the trailer, you can see why. Let's have a look at the trailer. You're a man-hater. Learn to get along with the boys. You're sexy, but you're too much work. I have a whole list. Will other women come forward? You may have heard there was a dust-up involving yours truly and presidential contender Donald Trump. There was blood coming out of her eyes, blood coming out of her wherever. Oh my God, did he just accuse me of anger menstruating? Wait, am I going to be the story? No. No. I'm going to be the story. No. no. Nobody stops watching because of a conflict. They stop watching when there isn't one. 
I want to convince you that I belong on air, Mr. Ailes. I think I'd be freaking phenomenal on your network. I could pluck you out and move you to the front of the line. But I need to know that you're loyal. I need you to find a way to prove it. I'm the bad guy. So that's Bombshell, an important subject, obviously, told with quite a light touch, as you can see from the trailer there. Personally, I think it worked for me. I, I was very happy to see, um, you know, the, the, the sexual harassment the kind of plotline, the Time's Up situation being dealt with in a way that will appeal to a lot of people and get the message across to a wide audience. But, Dana, do you feel he got that very tricky balance right? Not quite, I think. I mean, okay. I I like the film for the for the same reasons that you just articulated. For me, it was a little bit too lighthearted. Um, the the satire didn't come across that well. Um, I had particularly problems, not so much with how the women were portrayed, but actually how Fox News was was sort of dealt with in the in the film. I was in the impression that actually the filmmakers could have. Well, we're, I could have been a bit harsher on, on Fox News because that's the environment where those things mm. were happening. And then all the nuance of how the women were dealing with that or how they, they in a way, were compliant to the practices that were going on or, or how they identified with this corporate culture. This I can understand. And this is also where I felt for these women. The whole culture could have been, yeah, it could have been a bit, bit more... <laughs> Yeah, but more I, I, I lost. Yes. It. I, I really lost it there. And also, for me, a great example, for instance, how this works is when I was watching the film at the at the press screening. There are some really uh, tough scenes to watch for a female audience. Um, I mean, in the trailer, you could see for those of you who haven't seen it, where some scenes will be leading to, and it was handled delicately. And I appreciate that from the film. Um, but in the press screenings, I've I felt I've really I froze and I felt like crying. And then you could hear some kind of laughter from male colleagues going on, and obviously really? they were maybe just feeling uncomfortable, or it's the kind of things you think it's satire so it's, it's exaggerated and you're supposed to laugh about it actually it happens a lot also with yeah, genre I films cried. <laughs> um, and I felt really uncomfortable being a female critic in that audience and then thinking okay who's going to write about this film and are they going to champion the film for being a great satire or are they actually also going to understand how painful it is to watch so I was glad that I could write about it and could write about that I think you brought up a really interesting point there that unless you have experienced sexual harassment, of course, men have as well as women, but unless you have experienced it, you know, in the workplace, perhaps you will have a slightly different perspective on the film. I mean, you, you said that you cried, Lauren. Yeah, I've never experienced anything like that, fortunately. But just the, the complete uh, power, she's so powerless that it just angered me. I think I cried for just for being angry at a certain scene. Just like, uh, and I think what I did think it did really well is show how this whole atmosphere of bullying and, and just this toxic environment, is it's not just the extremes that you hear about. Like there's so many small, like with the way people talk and the way the, the people, are, the women are treated, dur even during the shows, during the broadcasts. And I can imagine what you're saying, Dana, that if it's quite subtle and I, it should reach a broad audience. I also understand that probably the filmmakers didn't want to alienate um, certain parts of an American audience that should see this film. At the same time, I think it's that subtle that it might completely be missed. For I think that so it, everyone will bring something slightly different to it, and I think, yeah, you know, I mean, for me, I was thinking about my times when I was very in my twenties and you know working in a very male environment, and I too felt quite emotional in some scenes, thinking, I can't believe I let certain culture happen, whether it's just you know the way people talk to you or, the, as you say, the culture and the environment. And I think it does bring up a lot of those things. Yeah, it does it very well. I mean, you could even see in the trailer how the, how the, 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 the anchors were being treated in the, in the talk show by their guests. And then they, you just have to laugh because that's what you do. And journalism for a long time used to be such an environment and not only at, at these right-wing populist uh, broadcasters, but in, in general. Um, and at the same time, I felt like the film could have taken a perspective on that because otherwise we still think it's okay to laugh it away and that's that's more my point so maybe actually it should have been more subtle yeah. so sometimes more subtle is actually more outspoken do you think it would have been different if it had been written and directed by women yes 
Definitely. <laughs> in what regard? Just a perspective. I mean, I, I think it's doing a lot of things right. And the, the, there's a dressing room scene where you see all the women sort of trying to get into some spandex. Yeah, the costume to, design to is amazing. Under, yeah. these, under these dresses, their, their armor. And I mean, those things are really right, but also they're funny. And they're actually also funny and not funny. And I'm sure that a, that a female director would have understood how terrible it is to wear something like that and <laughs> let the audience feel that. And also men who would never understand that you would wear so many layers of hideous underwear to somehow <laughs> look like a plastic doll. So yes, yeah. I would have loved someone to really make you feel that and, and embody that in every little image. I think there are probably many different films that could have been made about this, but I think broadly, would you agree that I would recommend it generally? Yes. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. I, also <laughs> I did read or hear some noises about like um, making Megan Kelly sort of the heroine of the story is, is, is an odd choice because she's obviously not, not the most progressive person in real life. That's not what bothered me at all because I think that's a really... Um, strong message to get across that even if you're not an outspoken feminist, you still deserve the same equal treatment and equality. It's just, I agree with Dana that, that Fox News in itself might have been, yeah, handled a bit more um, critically. And it's interesting that this this was sort of greenlit before the Weinstein scandal happened. And I don't know how much that affected the way the final product happens. But do you think we're going to see a lot more films like this? Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yes. Well, and I, look, I look forward ones, to it. Yeah. And maybe actually it'll also take some time before female filmmakers can make those kind of films because of another kind of responsibility that you that you feel in dealing with the subject and maybe actually many films that female filmmakers will direct in the future will deal with these issues in a more indirect way um, mm -hmm. but actually make us understand much more about female bodies but yeah it's important that we that we yeah. see these things on screen as well yeah first of many great stuff so that was bombshell next up we have the long walk now this is showing at iffr it's directed by matty doe it's the third feature from matty doe it's laos's first and only female film director it's an ambitious genre piece about a middle-aged man who's looking back on his life and is visited by various ghosts so, Lauren, you were keen to talk about this one, yes. and you brought it to our attention. I, I thought it was very mysterious, kind of sometimes baffling, but loaded with atmosphere. It's a fascinating yes, film, I, isn't it? I still it? don't get everything, I think. I'm glad it's you really said that, because yeah. <laughs> I need to watch it again. It's, it's, a fair, it's a lot going on in this yes, film. Yes, it's very ambitious. Like, there's several storylines. It's all times completely scattered. You have no, no idea what's going on most of the time, but the atmosphere is really strong, and it all comes together really nicely at the end. And she's just such an interesting filmmaker that I'm really happy that IFFR is screening this film. Her second film, Dearest Sister, was only like the 13th um, film officially coming from Laos. Like the film industry there is so, it's just starting. And she's really at the center of it. And she kind of just rolled into filmmaking. She didn't really want to be a filmmaker. And she just crashed some party and met some people. <laughs> and they said, oh, you can, you can tell stories. Go ahead. So just her story is really amazing. And she's a really fun, great, energetic woman with lots of, great ideas. I've met her a few times. She's really, uh, yeah, really an inspiration. And um, what I like about this film is that she's, so she was born in the US um, and then moved back to Laos with her father and is still living in Laos. And she's, she really tries to sort of work with the maybe stereotypical ideas that people have of Southeast Asian horror, especially because she said about this film, for instance, oh, yeah, someone said to me after Dearest Sister that it wasn't what he'd expected of a Southeast Asian horror film to be because there weren't any dusty villages in it. And so she made this film, which is set in a dusty village, <laughs> but in the future. So it's like this strange, it's really, it looks really sort of rustic and, and yeah, country, and, but then they have these chips in their arms. Like there's tiny details that show and there's you know, planes flying over, sort of sci-fi jets flying over. These tiny details that make you think, when is this situated? And then there's flashbacks to the past. And she also handles this sort of mysticism or the, the spiritual connection that people in Laos have as a, just something that's very normal. Like, he, he, the, the main character walks around. It's not a spoiler because it sort of happens very quickly in the film, or is it? I don't, no, I don't know what I you're about to say. I think you can't <laughs> talk about a film because 
without avoiding spoilers and on no. the other hand as well, you were saying you want to see it again yeah. because it's so rich so yeah yeah well, he, he can see ghosts yeah i've said that that's fine yeah, you say he sees see ghosts. dead people all yeah. the time um, yeah and he um uh, he has a ghost <laughs> with him just the whole film he just walks up and down from his house to the village yeah. with a ghost and she doesn't speak she's been with him all his life and it's just completely normal and you sort of get into that too like oh yeah she's just, she's there i love how it blends so many genres as you said the sci-fi just kind of comes in and out doesn't it but then it's like, grounded in a lot of, sort of reality and detail of, of life what did you make of it Dan? yeah i love this film i was so glad that you brought it in and that i got a chance to watch it it's a genre that i like as a time travel film that i'm really fond of it's almost like an art film um but it's so cleverly done and it shows so well how little you need to be inventive and bold and also political because it's not not only about ghosts being being present in in Laotian society but it's also very much about the political past that somehow is still present no 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 it, for me it was really a big discovery and I'm I can only recommend it to to anyone it's it's an amazing film great yeah like Good. the fact that the the village still looks like it does in a possible future no matter how far away that is, says enough about the political situation being what it is because otherwise it would have progressed to something else. Like there's that kind of, yeah, there's a lot in it. So filmmaker to watch, The Long Walk. Thank you very much for bringing that to our attention and uh, tipping us off. Now, next film is one that probably some of you might have seen and certainly have heard of. It's called Parasite. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so it's released on the 7th of Feb 2020 in the UK. Um, it's, of course, the Oscar nominated Palm Door winner about a working class family who infiltrate a rich household in Seoul. It's from South Korean filmmaker Bong Joon Ho. I personally love this film, pure cinema, right? It's gripping, it's funny, it's surprising, it's beautifully shot, great characters, performances, has a lot to say about class. I have yet to meet someone who doesn't also love it. Dana, did you love it? Were you going to I surprise us? <laughs> really loved it. It's a good example, actually, also of a social satire that works because it is a grotesque at moments and over the top. And at others, it's really so subtle that you need to see it a second or a third time to really see it. And this whole idea of the parasite, something we can only think of a parasite as something really gross and we don't want them in our house. But this, these constant shifting perspectives between parasite and host, I mean, I could go on on this forever. <laughs> I don't know, really, that it's really one of my favorite films of the year. Well, I mean, spoiler free, so that's difficult with this one. But um, as, or, any, as yeah. everybody's seen it three <laughs> times by now. Yeah, but then, well, it hasn't come out in the UK yet. Oh, no. So, yeah. <gasps> I, but I was, I, I, oh, I, I was discreet about it, right? <laughs> you were discreet. So um, the thing is that uh, I want to talk about my, the highlights, but without spoilers. So the details of the con artistry was so much fun for me, you know, like it's sort of how it's infiltrating and how they do it. What were your highlights without giving too much away? Oh, I didn't know it hadn't released uh, in the UK yet. General, yeah. I could go on and on as well. Like, it's just such a great film in every respect. Yeah. Like, I just felt so dumb after every time watching it. I was like, oh, you got me again. Oh, you got me again. There's just so All much in it. All the little layers and the twists. Um, and turns, yeah. My highlights would be the architecture, just the house, the, especially the, um, the condo. Um, there's so many articles also online about how they did the art direction for that and how it was built that I really, really loved. Uh, well, let's talk about the female characters because that's quite yeah. interesting, isn't it? Because you've got the naive, wealthy mother, and she's absolutely hilarious, I think. But but you've also got a very, very savvy other mother. So you've kind of these two families kind of you know pitted against each other. Did you enjoy those performances? A lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lee Young Un, who plays the uh, housekeeper, is my personal favourite. Yes. She, she's actually Okia's voice. Did oh, you know really? that? His yeah. previous film, I didn't know that. Yeah, she's a voice she's actor. Trivia. She's a great singer as well. There's one scene, which is actually a highlight, but it's where she, she impersonates someone else. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. That's probably one of my favorite scenes. You can see her as a voice actor. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah she did the grunting and sounds for Ok. Yeah, how great is that? Because Bong was like, I need you in my film, but I don't know how. <laughs> oh, you, can be the, you can be the giant pig. <laughs> how amazing. Um, but she... Um, yeah, I think this is her, this should be her big breakthrough. And she's just so expressive. And what I like about Parasite is that there's not really one main, main part or main actor. Like everybody's as important as everybody else. And the women are as important as the men. I didn't feel like, actually, the women might be a bit stronger even in the film. Like they, because I feel like they're, they're on to what's happening from the get go, all of them. And they kind of anticipate 
towards not, that. Oh. But anyway, yeah, we can't yeah, just, yeah, yeah, we discuss this later. I mean, yeah, also, no there's constant changing perspectives. Yes. So every family member has their part of the story. And then you think, oh, it's going to be a story about fathers and sons. Oh, no, it's actually going to mm -hmm. be a story about female dynamics. And yeah. then it gives a complete different reading of the film. So, yeah, maybe we can come back after the film has been released in the UK <laughs> an in-depth analysis. Um, but no, I still think there's, there are things we can touch on. For example, there's, there's one kind of sex scene which I think is really interesting because it is a man pleasing a woman and you actually don't often see that in films written directed by a man that the one sex scene is focusing on her pleasure. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a lot going on in that scene. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit messed up. Yeah, gender, that's the whole film in dynamic-wise. <laughs> but I just thought that was something interesting to highlight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this me, is a one-off. It made me sort film. of cringe and also want to look away at the same time. Oh, yeah. It's I mean, it's, like, oh, okay. yeah, it's, it's, yeah, but it's, it's really, Definitely. really intriguing film. And uh, yeah, it's, it's closest thing to a must-see, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's it won the... Um, we did a sort of end-of-the-year poll for the Cineville audience, and it won the, the number one spot, like by landslide. People loved it in the Netherlands. Great. Yeah. yeah, and also very rare for a film like that to be nominated for the Best Picture at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, except the, yeah. I think at least two of the actresses should have been nominated yes. too. But when you said about the, how great they all are, I think perhaps because it is everyone's show, it's such an ensemble piece, it's really hard to pick anyone out. I mean, but any of them would be awards-worthy, right? Yeah. yeah. Now we've got two more guests coming. Please stay on the stage, Dana and Lauren. Um, but would you just shift along, please, so we can welcome sure. our next yeah. people. Thank you very much for your reviews and do join in the next conversation. Yeah, we can have a midway clap. Yeah, let's do it. Um, please, you may clap while I introduce my next guests. I'm delighted to bring on two guests here from a film screening here. It's one of the best British teen dramas since Fish Tank, in my opinion. It is Rocks. I'd love to welcome writer-director Sarah Gavron and the associate director Anna Enriquez. Please show me. <laughs> welcome Sarah and Anu. How are you? Good. Yeah. Good. Welcome <laughs> to good. Girls on Film. Thank Thanks you for having for us. Really oh. excited to be here. Well, um, it's a terrific, terrific film. Let's have a quick chat about it. So it's a teen movie set in London with real teenagers. Sarah, why did you want to tell this story in particular? Well, it began with a conversation with one of the producers, Faye Ward. Um, we talked about doing a film about young women, but we didn't want to do it from our perspective, looking back at our own teen years. We wanted to build something with the young people themselves, so it felt really relevant and really of now. And that then led us to put together a creative team Anu was one of them, um, who became almost the co-director, I'd say, more than associate director. And we got together, This we workshopped and found our cast before we wrote the script. So we kind of reversed the usual film process um, and spent a year with those young people, wow. really understanding themes and ideas and friendship and character and home life and school life. Um, and then the writers, Teresa Rococo and Claire Wilson, who were in most of that workshop, pro in fact, all of that workshop process, then wrote a script, which became the spine for the shoot. Wow. And what did you think of the project when you first sort of came to it? Um, well, I guess when we first started on it, there wasn't, there wasn't like um, Sarah said, there wasn't a kind of script or an idea yeah. specifically. It was like, how do you tell, uh, how can we tell a story about young women and make it as kind of true and like holistic as possible? And so that was what got me. And I was working with um, Faye at Fable at the time. And so that's how I came to start working with Sarah. Should we have a look at a clip from Rox? <laughs> Rops, can you do my eyebrows? Or, like, or just do my makeup? Sorry, Agnes. I don't really have stuff. For your colour, because I never get white clients. <laughs> oh yeah, I was getting so into that. Just, yeah. I've seen this film twice. I absolutely love it. Congratulations to you both, by the way. It is such a terrific movie. I'm a big fan of this kind of genre. And what is so refreshing is that you see all these girls, you know, they're having a really rough time, Rox in particular, our heroine, um, with her family. But the bond that they have with each other, which is what we see in that clip there, is just so tangible and so uplifting and lovely. And we don't, I don't feel that you see that between girls in British movies very much at all. Yeah, that was partly what 
um, struck us when we went into schools because we sat, I, I loved sitting in the back of classrooms just watching these girls interact <laughs> and during break times and they were hilariously funny and there was also this incredible sense of solidarity and almost kind of love between these girls and they supported each other and held each other up um, even at the worst moments in their lives and, and made each other laugh all the time and so it, we wanted to capture that and Teresa Okoko um, who's from a background quite close to the girls grew up in Hackney and is British Nigerian talks a lot about how much joy there was on her estate growing up and in her friendship groups. I also think that it was a because we had worked with them for a year before and they're all from different schools in in East London so they weren't kind of friends from growing up but you could see as the workshop process went on that they kind of became each other's like unit and family and that's like carried on through the shoot and like after that still so it's also like amazing seeing it as a bond that didn't necessarily exist there before but then you saw grow and develop over a long period of time so what we're seeing there is real friendships blossoming on screen which is actually really lovely i mean it's a very touching movie anyway but to know that it's gorgeous yeah we cast around the friendships that existed in the workshop so initially um bookie who plays rocks was going to have a different friend but then her and kosar who plays samaya became as she she said like blue tack and they just you know they text each other every minute of every day including us um, and so we just decided that we had to make them the best friends in the film they are kind of hilarious together you're right that kind of comedy and that again you don't see that enough it's just girls being funny on screen right do they get up to anything you couldn't even include because it was too naughty <laughs> all sorts <laughs> I wouldn't say it was naughty I would say it was honest I would say it was very honest they kept us on our toes on set especially um, there's like I think had they been kind of had they been in lots of films before they may um, have reacted differently in certain situations and that's what I think was so natural and exciting about working with them and there are particular anecdotes where like when Kosar, Samea were filming one scene and, and Sarah often tells us this little anecdote where she, um, we had been sit filming for like two, two or three hours and you could sense that something wasn't quite right but no one could put their finger on it and then Kosar came up to Sarah and was like, this scene is, this scene is dead. Um, and, <laughs> and there was nothing that Sarah could say or any of us could say to disagree with her in a lot of ways. And so we then kind of started again on the whole thing but I think that was part of what was so important or what we learned from them is like how important it is to like for these relationships and collaborative relationships to be like a two-way street it wasn't that we were it wasn't that they were learning or that they were, we were giving them anything it was that they were giving us a lot um, and so it became this kind of shared relationship that I think is a lot more valuable than if it's just kind of one way. And so many films set in this milieu in London seem to revolve around crime, drugs, violence, etc. Um, were you keen to avoid that in general, Sarah? That was really came from the girls again and from um, the writers was that, you know, that does go on and we know about that and we see it. But there's also all this other stuff that's about female friendship, that's about supporting one another. And we, we you know, we wanted to focus on that. So we made a decision quite early on to go into girls schools and not go into mixed schools because we knew inevitably we'd end up focusing on the boys if we went into mixed schools. And we wanted to do something that put girls front and centre of their own film. That's interesting. And Teresa um, Ikoko, um, one of the writers, had always said that when she was writing this narrative that it was written as a love letter to her sister, um, but also to all the kind of women and black women in her life that formed her community and her, and her family. And so I think that came through, that was always the foundation for it. And so it's very difficult for that not to come through this kind of love letter to female friendship. You see it, you feel it all the way through, despite all the kind of the realities and the pain and the hardship that you have to go through. There's also like magic and joy and resilience, like all the way through. Yeah, it's a lovely, positive message, I think. And telling young women's stories is it, always important, I think, to try and get a balance between the sort of grit and the reality and then a hopeful spirit, which I think you've done beautifully. Um, did they change much in, t in terms of, you know, so you had the script and improv-wise, were there unexpected things that were constantly happening? I mean, how often was it sort of mixed up? Yeah, so we, it was a very chaotic shoot. Um, we shot very noisy at all times. And we shot chronologically, um, which from a character and story point of view was fantastic because they could hold on to the narrative and they could live it through it day by day. Um, from a production point of view, of course, it was a complete nightmare because we went into... Uh, 
um, an estate in East London caused havoc, came out of it, went into a school, caused havoc, came out of it, went back into the estate, back into the school. And so the producers really had a hard task. But, you know, we did other things to keep the naturalism and make it feel as unfilm y as possible. And one of those was by recruiting a crew who was 75% female and also um, from back as young as possible and from backgrounds as close to the kids wherever possible, not entirely, but wherever possible, so that they could look behind the camera and one, feel comfortable, and two, also, we wanted them to think, you know, not only could they maybe be actors, these young people, but they maybe one day could be a camera person or a production designer or a sound person. Bravo, because that's what we're trying to celebrate the girls on film. And as they say, if she can see it, she can be it. And I think to be surrounded by women in all areas, because actually last year we had Tara Judah on here, who was a former child actor. And she was saying that she thought she could only be an actress or maybe a wardrobe person because she wasn't seeing any women doing any other jobs. So what you're doing is fantastic. And Sarah, how different was this for you to your other films? Obviously, you know, Suffragette, very different proposition. Well, it was a total revelation for me in lots of ways. I mean, it was very sort of creatively energising, I'd say. Um, I love working with experienced actors and they kind of give you all sorts of gifts, but this was exciting in a, in a different way. And, and having a kind of partner on the journey in Anu, um, so someone, a sort of sounding board, we could make decisions together. And, you know, and the rest of the creative team, hugely involved. Um, the writers and Lucy Pardy who came from Andrea Arnold's casting and is a caster and researcher and so immersive and also has story ideas so it was one of those situations where I thought I really don't know best and what I'll do is I'll constantly keep bouncing it back to everybody around and we'll all um, we'll create a kind of get rid of the usual hierarchy and everybody's voice will matter because in a way that's going to make the best film. Um, And so we were constantly testing one another on what we believed and thought worked. So it's a real collaboration. I mean, you've worked on films like Stan and Lolly, is that right? When I first started working with Fable, we shot Stan and Lolly and then also Wild Rose. Ah, Wild Rose, great film. Another girls on film favourite, very good. How for you did the set differ on this one? Um, it was completely different. I wasn't on set for Stan and Ollie and for Wild Rose. Um, I was working kind of um, more in-house at that point. And, but it was a different kind of experience with Sarah because when we first met, we didn't really know what the relationship would be or how it would change over, over time. But I have to kind of give credit where credit is due in that you were, Sarah was very generous in bringing everyone into the conversation but also I didn't feel like there was anything I couldn't say because of the kind of like hierarchies there wasn't any there was there was a kind of an honesty um, which I think you need to kind of welcome for it to be useful so it was a completely different experience for me and it's been like an amazing journey since then and hopefully we'll have more kind of projects as well. Brilliant. We're trying to carry it on. So Anu um, with Lucy Pardy is working on a project called Bridge. Well, so it was started by Lucy Pardy and um, Jessica Straker, who was part of her casting team. And it was originally an idea about how can you bridge the gap between um, actors who have their first experience or anyone working in the industry as their first experience and like what happens next. Because there aren't kind of structures or finance or anything in place to like to help make that step. And so she um, started, they both started this um, organization with kind of the support of some of the crew from Rocks. And then also in partnership with um, this brilliant woman, Axa Haynes, who works for um, works at RADA as part of their outreach program. And Axa was able to kind of give the structure and the and also some of the kind of financial backing from RADA that we needed for them to be able to create a, a kind of what started off as like an after school club, but became this um, a space where you could be expanding the idea of like what it means to work in film, how to make those like very practical next steps for these young women and has become yeah, this amazing organisation that like hopefully will continue getting the support so it can be a long-term industry-wide. That is brilliant. Bridge. So watch the space of Bridge. I think um, that sounds like a wonderful initiative, yeah. really important. And, and like the story of this film just goes on, doesn't it? And you know, lives on in that, which is fantastic. And anything else we should know about that you're working on, Sarah? Well, I'm working on getting this film out into the world. <laughs> um, and then beyond that, we're talking about new projects. Um, and I'd love to work again in this way, in terms of the, the collaborative element yeah. of it. But um, it really is quite something getting this film out into the world because we have constant um, interactions with the kids over their, exci- their sheer excitement. And I have to say, going to festivals with the kids was unlike any experience because usually you go with sort of slightly world-weary actors, but this time <laughs> they were so beyond themselves with excitement. 
Chapman. Um, it's coming out, by the way, in England on the 10th of April, Easter weekend, so we hope as many people go to cinema, and in France on the 15th, and we hope one day here. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Um, our critics, have you got any questions for Sarah and Anu? I want to know where I can get the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. So, yeah, the soundtrack to music was very much like part of the whole kind of creative process from the beginning because it's like the whole world. Like when you're a teenager and these for these young women, it was their whole world. And you can hear in the film, there's like, it's, it's like, an, like an eclectic collection of different kinds of music. So you have like R&B and, and um, Afrobeats and a little bit of jazz and it's yeah a real kind of mixture. And then we're working with um, Universal who support who also supported the film on a kind of like inspired by soundtrack. So it'll be some of the songs in the film, but also artists who are writing original tracks for it and goes beyond like what you see on screen. So it'll be nice, um, nice. kind of combination. Yeah. And tomorrow the girls are recording with a choir in London called Urban Flames, which is a young choir. They're recording a version where they improvise a little bit of Proud Mary. Oh, wow. wow. To go on Fantastic. the inspiration soundtrack. That sounds amazing. I want to hear that. Any questions from you? Yes, side? because we haven't talked about the, the parts where they're actually filming themselves because you're talking about this whole collaborative process and in a way they're also one collective body, but they're also really, they took part or is it the DOP doing that? No. So to, let's talk about right. that. Yeah. So we had um, the poor editor, Maya Maffioli, not only had 150 hours of footage from our two DOPs who were running cameras constantly because we never said action or cut. We just rolled all day. But we also had footage on mobile phones. Um, so we had hours and hours of that. And, you know, th at this age, they film everything. I mean, it's like they're little filmmakers, you know. Um, they're documenting every moment in their lives. So that was a kind of gift for us that we um, worked with in the edit. But it was, again, the balance of how much do you have it, how much do you not. And I loved seeing in Parasite how they use the mobile phones as well. I wish I'd seen that before. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's fascinating to see how filmmakers are making creative use of this. That, you know, so you can much do part a flashback. Yeah. What we realised, we've got a moment with the mother in this that you can do on the phone what the equivalent of an old-fashioned flashback just by someone re-watching a bit of footage which yeah. I just thought was extraordinary. It's brilliant. Shall we close this segment with another clip from Rocks? Let's have a look. Round of applause for rocks. Please stay with us, Sarah and Annie, because we want to talk about something else now, which is kind of topical. And obviously, it's award season, Oscar season, and uh, the nominations were announced the other day. And Issa Rae made an interesting comment while announcing the Best Director category. Let's have a look at a clip of that. For achievement in directing, the director's branch of the Academy nominates The Irishman, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Joker, Todd Phillips. 1917, Sam Mendes. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino. And Parasite, Bong Joon-ho. Nice. I did it? I did, did it. it. Thank you so much. Did it. Congratulations to those men. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Natalie Portman did something similar at the Golden Globes a few years ago, and she said, um, yes, and here is the all-male list of, of best directors, and there's nothing against those directors at all, but you know what? So many women made fantastic films this year. I mean, and there's a whole support group for Greta Gerwig in particular, but there are at least 20 women, I think, that could have figured on that list. <laughs> I mean, it's a, long, it's a long conversation, isn't it? But why are we not seeing these women nominated? And once again, people are voting for men. It's a reflex. I mean, it's, it's really that. I was trying to do some kind of an exercise the other day so imagine that for some mysterious reason, some alien spacecraft landed on planet Earth and all the white 
American male directors were kidnapped. And so they didn't make any films like the last two years. So then you had to look at all the other films that came out last year. There's actually many really good mainstream films directed by women, people of color, um, that could have easily been nominated that are as good or not even better than those kind of films. But these guys just set the standard for what we think is good, solid, decent filmmaking and were so trained to understand that as the only way it should be that we're not able to look at the qualities of other kinds of filmmaking, other kinds of storytelling and so on. So it's just a reflex because I think by now the members of the Academy are more and more diverse and people are aware and then you get the list and then you think oh but how can I not nominate Martin Scorsese <laughs> because that would be really terrible because he is one of the best filmmakers in the world and this is why it keeps happening so maybe we should ask for that spacecraft to come and just do this little thought experiment. <laughs> that for, is a radical just solution. For, for, yeah, but just for one year and then they can all come back and we can have a big worldwide party to celebrate <laughs> their return. But it's true, it's, it's a matter of challenge, challenging yourself. It's not that hard, but it does take some kind of switch in your head. Even I notice it sometimes where you go, oh wait, but there's much more. That's just how we're programmed, in the West at least. I do think it's not just the diversity of the voters, but the way that we're voting. Well, it's the director's branch that picks the director's category. So it is peer-to-peer, -peer, but isn't it self-perpetuating? Yeah. I mean, Sarah, are you allowed to comment on this? Do you want to comment on this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, they are great directors, but as you said, there are many, many other great female directors who absolutely could have been in that category. I mean, one of my favourite films of the year was The Farewell by Lulu Wang, oh. and I just thought that was extraordinary. And, you know, that could have been made by a man. Maybe it would be in there. Yeah, that was terrific. We featured it on Girls on Film and it's absolutely, Lulu Wang is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think, I mean, studies have shown that when people picture a director, they think of a, a white man, generally. And that is what even probably directors are thinking. And we all have unconscious biases that need to be tackled. I mean, the, um, the Biffers, the British Independent Film Awards, made unconscious bias training compulsory the last two years for their voters. And I think that's a really interesting move. And that has resulted in, in um, you know, what I would say is probably more diverse and fair selection so I think all awards bodies are starting to have to take a serious look at how it actually works but let's talk about what we would have liked to have, have seen um, more in the awards race um, Dana what's your favourite this, this season one, other than the ones well, we spoke about one of my favourites and one of the films that I really would have loved to see in, in that lineup is Little Women it's maybe an obvious choice for me it was also a revelation can you imagine that I'd never seen any of those previous films ah. before and I wasn't even familiar yeah I know I came from that alien planet I was dumped <laughs> I was dumped here at some point so I had no backstory with that with that story and then I watched it and for me it's such a great example of, of what maybe female filmmaking could really contribute and and there's so many similarities in a way also to rocks just show this kind of body of female connection and female friendship and female kind of pre-erotic love that is so beyond anything we see in so many films that are about male companionship and those kind of things but it's there it's in the world so it's not something that is invented um for filmmaking and yes it's a feel-good movie and 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 there's so much hardship going on and at the same time everybody is somehow trying to deal with it and and actually that makes the suffering even bigger so it's a very tragic story and I really like what she did with the ending because well anyway for those who yeah it's not out in the Netherlands there's something going on with the ending which is really clever because that's also talking about how actually we're also all trained to desire for a happy ending right and it's giving you something there and really it, it felt like me watching my childhood on Mars with my sisters it was great <laughs> <laughs> I love this wonderful image of you as a foreign planet now brilliant um, Lauren would you like to choose a film that uh, you've enjoyed that yes. perhaps should have been in the conversation a little bit more 
Yeah, I like that you said pre-erotic, <laughs> as if there's a, <laughs> as if erotic is like the last stage of something. <laughs> um, I'd go for the erotic female film this year, which is uh, Portrait de la Jeune Fille en Feu, oh. Portrait of a Lady on yeah, Fire, which beautiful. I love, mm -hmm. um, and which I, I really don't understand why. Well, actually, the international feature is... Um, category is quite strong but I think it should have been in there totally um, so agree. Siyama's film is it's it's such a surprise it's such a film where you I ended up just suggesting it to all kinds of people who would never go to a costume drama about lesbian love like that but I'd still say go see it and everybody just came back like what did I just see it's such a on the one hand classic but completely new refreshing story and it has just the way it talks about longing and looking and loving and what I found really interesting about that is also that it has at least for me one of the most like erotic scenes of the whole year that a lot of critics just said there wasn't a sex scene in it <laughs> you're like excuse me there's a they, real good they nod sex off for scene a bit, yeah. yes <laughs> but it's not what we it, along yeah. the lines of what you're saying it's not what is perceived to be there's no penetration in it in the way we <laughs> think there should be I guess it's, the whole thing is extremely erotic that the build-up yeah know, the just tension. the looking is, oh my is much more erotic than a lot of other things yeah. that should have been this year so great yeah that, that's my um my number and may I say Celine Siama is nominated for best director at the London Critics Circle Film Awards next Thursday so good. yay <laughs> now I would like to cut to the audience for Q&A please ready your questions there will be a roving mic and um, don't be shy. We like to hear your thoughts on anything we've discussed or indeed anything else. Award season, women in film, men in film, whatever you want. There's a hand. Hello. Hi. Um, just sticking with the awards stuff. Uh, a big favourite of mine this year was Honey Boy, which is completely ignored in which I, I think is completely baffling. Uh, female director and incredible movie. Uh, I just wanted to know if you'd seen it and if you had what your thoughts were on that film because I'm disinterested. You're nodding, Sarah. Would you like to respond to that one? Yeah, well, I sort of watched her work before, you know, her documentary work and stuff, and she's an extraordinary director. And, and just the visuals in that film are so beautiful. Um, I was at film school with the director of photography and just astounding um, the way the camera captures and also incredible performances and very moving. So, yes, I agree. I really agree. Good shout. I also thought that it was like a heartbreaking as a portrayal of like a parent-child relationship, but also how much children have to take on in those relationships and and acted in the most kind of like subtle and, I don't know, like self-sacrificing way. It was seriously heartbreaking. Thank you. Yeah, good shout. We have another question there. Thanks. Yeah, also on the topic of the awards, um, my, I, I would put in The Nightingale, Jennifer Kent's film, which I thought is actually brilliant. But uh, isn't the problem here that we're talking about the Oscars, uh, which is a superfluous award to begin with, because it's extremely, extremely uh, myopic. Mm. They only consider a very, very narrow amount of films. And also the category of best director is, is kind of idiotic in the sense that they have 10 best films and five best directors. So they only have one woman to choose from. So I think that's where the problem is. A one-woman director in the top ten films, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, yeah. And it's not even the best one. It is interesting that, you know, I do a lot of sort of mass-market TV where people just really don't understand how the voting works and how it's actually kind of 8,000 people who have a massive pile of screeners or 200 movies they could see. And a lot of the time, they're not even watching half the films in contention because they simply don't have time. So a lot of people think, oh in the general public, oh, the Oscars, that means it must be the best film of the year. It really isn't. There are so many hoops you have to jump through and so many problems and ways to get in the conversation, right? So does anyone else want to speak to that? And there's so much money behind the big films to promote them, and that's yeah. part of the problem. So the jury yeah. system seems the obvious way to go because then people would pay proper attention to each film you know, that they got to watch. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the EE Rising Star Award jury at the BAFTA, and that's the only diverse category at the EE BAFTAs. And, you know, that's three out of five people of colour that we voted for. So, yeah, and, and, you know, and then the vote goes to the general public, and I think that's a lovely way of doing it. But, yeah, Oscar's problematic. <laughs> I'm actually full of hope because I did this thought experiment with the alien abduction and really do it. Go and look at only the American productions. There are enough productions directed by women but also with female cinematographers that could just 
easily fill those categories. So maybe it's it's just like a little moment in time where we're shifting awareness. I'm actually hopeful, really. Yeah, I, I think I share that. And also what you're saying about the there's more people behind a film, like the myth of, of the director is huge. And there's so many women doing other jobs in film that are really important. Um, so that's also a way to to highlight all the great work that's being done by women. Like, for instance, Colleen Atwood, who did the costume design for, for Bombshell. Mm -hmm. She's such a great part of that movie. That's my <laughs> two cents. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with the myth of the director. I think we need to work on that, <laughs> getting rid of that mythical status. Um, and also, I do feel hopeful as well. I mean, I came out of film school 20 years ago, and and for about 15 years, it felt like nothing, nothing changed, nothing changed. And then suddenly there was this huge sea change. And, you know, I think the Me Too movement and all those women who have stood up and spoken out and time's up and has really changed the atmosphere. The fact that these films that we're talking about, the women films, women director films, have done so well at the box office, you know, despite the awards. I think that there's, there's real hope and a real appetite and lots of brilliant gatekeepers and lots of brilliant critics. But, you know, they need to keep keeping their eye on the ball but there's so so much hope I kind of was a bit spoiled in some ways because I work for a, um, a women-led company Fable Pictures um, and one of my first kind of full experiences in film was working on rocks and so I was surrounded by women all the time and it was a collective it was also women as a collective and I think for me that's now becomes like a thing I don't want to compromise on not just the women part but the collective part and so I feel like I'm in a strong position going forward because that's now part of the value system of what I think filmmaking is and should be and so that's I like and I hope for a lot of the other women who worked on it that will be part of their value system too because that's what they brought to it but a lot needs to be done and the people who it's not like people are sitting around like questioning like well, what what could we do and how could we do it like they know the work that needs to be done they just need to do it and that's what one of the things that Teresa has constantly said um it's not my role to give you the answers like just go do the work and I think that's like gonna stick with me forever I love all these hopeful stories. This is a great. This is a great note to strike. Thank you. And yeah, I would say what what is great is the conversation is very much part of the mainstream now. It's not just people on the sides like you know many people that we know and ourselves included for, for years and been going ah. Um, but you know the conversation is happening. You know when I was asked to go on TV talking about the Oscar nominations, they were leading with diversity. They were leading with female directors. That's that's the angle that they were taking. And I thought if that conversation is happening on international news, then that's a real step forward. And you know all, all the voting bodies and all the industry has to take note and it will take time but we're getting there and there's lots of male allies in this absolutely well. lots of, and we need them it's hugely important um since we're here at this brilliant festival and i've not been here before i i just wondered if anyone in this room knows what the policy of this festival is on 50 50 programming and, and guests because that's been another way that's been you know spreading across the world and really important Good question. Do we have anyone in the room who wants to take that? <laughs> any, any official line on that? <laughs> feeling, I mean, my, I don't know. Yeah, do you know? We don't have any quotas. Yeah, there are but no my gut feeling would be that it's pretty okay because there's... I mean, we don't work with quotas, but I think you can see it in the programming. I mean, uh, in the talks programming, but also in the film programming. I mean, everybody's aware of what's happening but we're we're selecting good films or we're selecting good speakers or we're just looking for good events and luckily we end up with the sort of 50 50 thing but it's it's not a quota that we're searching for or whatever so but that's also has to do i think a lot with some kind of a culture within an organization where you're already so open-minded that you're more interested in diversity than in actually following the mainstream and then it goes automatically i mean something that i found really amazing for instance in in toronto where rocks premiered in the platform competition um that the majority of the films in that competition, for instance, was directed by female filmmakers, and it didn't feel contrived in any way. It was just a beautiful selection of films that were communicating with one another, and then you could think, oh yeah, maybe they could have selected this film or that film, but the, the, the whole selection spoke about something that was going on in this world. And I think for me, having visited the Rotterdam 
film festival ever since I came from Mars. I mean, it has always been a festival where you you would see stuff out of the mainstream, and that involves so much more. I mean, yes, female voices were always important here. I think there were always great female directors and programmers and, and guests. But for me, it was also like actually everything else was here. So it was so much about diversity to start with and about this shared space where stories could meet and also clash. I mean, but it's, and I think it's really about that. And I think once we understand that, that once we get more interested in stories that are, are not like the mainstream ones or the dominant ones, it's a, just a slight mentality shift. And it's just being a little bit more curious, which I think is so amazing because there's so much to see. So why shouldn't you actually be curious and just be enthusiastic and go out and, and see something? Then it's so easy to familiarize yourself with different styles that are just different and beautiful so it's just that it's it's easy <laughs> great i want to go to mars now <laughs> yeah. I was always, you know this new colony if the world ends i want to join you go back <laughs> well i think that's all the questions we've got time for it's been an absolute pleasure I must say, um, just before I thank our guests, I wanted to say that uh, we're looking for a partner on Girls on Film, so uh, if you know anyone, any rich feminists, then uh, let us know. Um, <laughs> we're also launching a Patreon page, so look out for details of the Patreon on our Twitter feed. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at girlsonfilm underscore pod and Instagram on girlsonfilm underscore podcast. Listen to us, download us, tell your friends. And then I would like to thank the collaboration that is Girls on Film, which is Head at Archbold of HLA Productions for producing, Jane Long for audio producing and our intern Heather Dempsey. Round of applause for them, please. Thank you. And I would like to thank my wonderful guests today, Jenna Linson, Lauren Murphy, Sarah Gavron and Naomi Case. Thank you very much indeed for joining Girls on Film. Thank you. And a special thank you to IFFR for hosting us for the second year running. And thank you all for being Girls on Film. Thank you. Will other women come forward? Yes, they will.